Aha! Greetings, warriors of all houses, and welcome back to the newest episode of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, if you aren't aware, we are currently in the midst of our Klingon-related series. That's uh, we're reviewing episodes with a Klingon theme. Uh, and this week, we are going to be reviewing an episode of Voyager, that being Barge of the Dead, because, you know, Balana, Klingon and stuff. Uh, but I can't do this alone, as I always say. I'm joined once again, thankfully, by my returning usual co-host, DK. Hello. Hello. And uh, we are joined by a returning guest. Uh, she was on the previous series of time travel related episodes looking at Little Green Men. And she's back to talk all things Voyager and her severe lack of Cardassians. Lady Vianne, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. It was a very popular episode the last time, and I think we had a great little uh, discussion and debate, and we're always talking offline, and we're happy to talk Trek, so what the heck? Why not uh, make a podcast out of it? So, Why um, not? Have you, both watched, uh, have you both watched the episode ready for this one, then? Definitely. Yeah, watched it earlier. To be fair, I know Vianne has, because she posted about watching it. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And DK, you managed to find 45 minutes to scrape in to watch it. <laughs> I did. I managed, to, I managed to scrape together the time this afternoon. That's good. Well, at least it was only a single episode. So, uh, yeah. Well, as I said, <laughs> if you are unfamiliar with the podcast, I always tend to just go over quickly what it is. Basically, we break down into little sections, starting with the Getting to Know You, then the uh, infamous Hit or Miss section that gives the podcast its name, and then the main episode review, audience responses, and our own conclusions and score out of five Starfleet Deltas. So, ha! with uh, all of that in mind, first of all, I was going to touch base with our people here and do the section that I call Hailing Frequencies Open. Hailing Frequencies Open, sir. <clears throat> Welcome to you both, DK and Vian. Vian, since I haven't spoken to you uh, in a track capacity for a while, uh, other than the episode for today, have you been watching anything else track related? You caught up with any of the new stuff or anything? Um, no, I've been taking a little bit of a break. Um, I've I've recently gotten into a, uh, a podcast series that has nothing to do with Star Trek, um, <laughs> and so my routine now is instead of you know watching Star Trek or something while I'm while I'm doing things, I um, go to work and I come home and I take care of the animals and I go to the gym or do my exercise and then I make a cocktail. I play classic Doctor Mario on my Super Nintendo and I listen to this podcast and. Uh, and then I fall asleep. So, you know, no time for Star <laughs> Living Trek. Living the life. Yeah. Ah, well, that's just not good. You've got to make time for Star Trek. Hey, <laughs> Especially Star since Trek. I know I know you haven't watched a lot of the new stuff, and I'm going to keep bugging you till you do. So, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm definitely planning to watch Strange New Worlds because I saw that Mariner and Boimler are going to be on it. And mm. I'm like, okay. Even yeah, I'm excited we, we... about that, so got to check that <laughs> We talked about that in the first episode of this series because I was asking DK's thoughts on the image of like what the uniforms all look like in live action and everything and seeing how cool it looked to have those actors. And yeah, it was cool. <laughs> I think it's there are another nine episodes in this season, but that's the one that everybody's, I think, looking out for. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's cool. Um, yeah. And what about you, DK? Anything since the last time we spoke track related other than this? Uh, no, I think that's been it. I'm kind of just waiting, you know, like Vian. I'm kind of just biding my time now until Strange New World. So, uh, yeah. 
Fair enough. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to do then, because normally I would go over, you know, how did you get into Star Trek and all that, but we've, oh, we've wait, all been wait. on together. I've, we've Mike, I do this. have yes. something Star Trek related. I forgot. Okay. I want I to shout this out here. Captain Ed from Twitter sent me a goodie box this week of Ooh. a Cardassian pistol, a Cardassian oh, wow. um, pad, and a Cardassian um, tricorder that he had like he 3D printed and painted and sent me. Oh, cool. So I do have some new Star Trek swag. Oh, awesome. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, does he print things professionally? I don't think so. I think this was just a little little surprise package for me. So oh, nice. Oh. Yeah, Very nice. Great. You see, you've got you've got too many admirers. <laughs> so, <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, in case you hadn't guessed, if you are heart new and you don't know Lady Vianne, she is the Cardassian queen, as you've probably now gathered by all of the talk. But yeah, awesome. Uh, but we're not here to talk Cardassians today. This is a Klingon-related series. So as I said, uh, foregoing all of the questions that you will have answered on the last time, like how did you get into Trek and everything, uh, the specific question I'm asking everyone this series is, do you have any favorite Klingon stories other than the one we're reviewing that you'd like to shout out? Um, I don't like the Klingons, so no. <laughs> boo! <laughs> boo! 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 Hiss! No, Dishonor! I, that's not true. That's not true. First of all, um, Belana has always had a special place in my heart, but we'll get into that more in the episode. But I've got mm. a special association with her um, that I realized uh, particularly when I was reviewing this episode. So I had some interesting thoughts about that. But um, when Martok, who, you know, fuck him for wanting to, like, drink on the corpses of the Cardassians, but um, when Martok in, interacts with his wife, Sorella. Okay. Yeah. I, I just think the the dynamic between them is so fun and interesting, and it's great to see Martok, who just you know comes from a low class background, and he's just so smitten with this high class woman who he did end up marrying, and um, JG's performance whenever he's around her is just delightful oh that's awesome so you do like some klingon things you see so, <laughs> awesome so yeah i mean that's no specific episodes but certainly the characters i, I think you would uh, you'd say you like their martok on occasion at least and uh, yeah. and definitely balana which i'm sure we'll get into as i say in this episode but uh yeah not a fan i'm guessing of the other main klingons and not a wharf fan or anything oh god i hate wharf <laughs> oh so I many viewers have just tuned in. I hate data, but I do hate work. Oh, what the, oh. <laughs> my, my heart hurts now. <laughs> How can you hate data anyway? <laughs> not, not we had that conversation. I think we have. Probably, most likely. For what it's worth, Vian's views do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or either of its hosts, just to clarify. <laughs> I love data and wolf. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, that's enough of that then we'll move straight on uh, swiftly on from that one into the next section which is the uh, the legendary hit or miss section which gives the podcast its name so we'll go with hit or miss what about my performance i'm not a drama critic if you are new to the podcast, basically what this is, is that I pick random things from anywhere in the Star Trek universe, uh, pop an image up on screen if you're watching on YouTube and tell the, your, the, the guests and the audience what the thing is. Uh, nobody other than me has any clue what's coming, so it is always going to be a surprise so we can get honest opinions, hopefully. Uh, and then basically we're going to go around and ask if we think it's a hit or a miss. 
you know, reasons why, debate back and forth, see if we can come up with a consensus. Uh, we always go to the guest first, just because, you know, it's polite. So, <laughs> so uh, I have seven for us this week because we're doing only quite a short episode. So hopefully we should have time to fit them in. So uh, are you both ready to go? Ready. Yeah, sure. I forgot to mention, um, I do uh, tend to drop in a few things that are related to the episode theme. Uh, so, or the series theme, I should say. So there will be a couple of Klingon-related things, but not everything, because I don't want that to dominate the hit or miss section. So if you see Klingon things, that's why. Um, but again, it won't be everything. And the first thing on the list isn't Klingon-related, um, and it is an episode. Well, it is actually Klingon-related, come to think of it. What am I talking about? Yes, it is. It's Klingon-related, and it is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, which hopefully you'll remember, but if not, I can jog your memories. So it is the episode titled A Matter of Honour. And Vian, I'll come to you first. Do you think this episode is a hit or a miss? Job my memory. What's, what's uh, a matter of honor is the second season episode in which there's a sort of a cultural exchange situation. Riker ends up on a Klingon ship, and a Klingon ends up as the first officer of the Enterprise. Meanwhile, Wesley is off doing the Starfleet Academy entrance exam, and that's it. Really, there's not really a lot else to say. Those are the two big plots of the episode. So. Uh, not all that memorable, it seems, to you, perhaps? <laughs> no, I, I I have the vaguest memories of this. I probably haven't seen it in 20 years. Um, wow. So I'm going to say, you know, just in terms of concept, it sounds like a hit. I mean, it sounds like at least it's on the target. I, I can understand what they were probably going for, but without having watched it recently, I can't say if they were successful or not. Yeah, there are a few other things notable in the episode. I think it's the introduction, maybe, of the Benzites, or at least one of the first appearances. Um, you know, the, the guys with the weird breathing apparatus thing. I think that's what they're called. Um, yeah, and as I said, the, the, the subplot is pretty cool with Wesley and the Academy entrance exam thing, but it doesn't really, it doesn't have any place in the episode, which is a really cool version of, like, making a Klingon fit in and then Riker having to fit in on a Klingon ship and learn all about their ways and everything, which is pretty cool, but... Yeah. So anyway, TK, uh, has that jogged your mind anymore? Would you say this is a hit or a myth? Uh, <clears throat> I remember quite liking this when it aired, although Riker back then, no. I don't think he'd have last two minutes on that damn shit. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, again, we've got the interesting perspective of, you know, we're teaching four students how to, uh, how to get in the Starfleet. Let's set the building on fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It comes across as a very lower decks kind of plot line. Uh, I kind of like it. Yeah, I was intrigued by the Benzites. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go soft hit. Awesome. I, I think it's a hit. I liked. I liked the uh, the exploration of how you know how different the Klingons can be, and all of the stuff about Riker learning that you know they don't sleep in comfort, and the food as it is is like live worms and stuff. And it was the first time I really remember getting that sense of culture shock of like, wow, this this is such a different species, but they aren't treated with disdain or like an enemy or anything like that. And uh, likewise, the Klingon that's on the Enterprise has to kind of adjust, and you know they try to make it welcome in a Klingon way, and he you know wants to live the human way. Um, and as you said, I kind of, I do like the, uh, even though it's very reminiscent of that short trek we didn't like, the kind of, you know, we're going to test you, so let's just put you in a horrible hazardous situation. Yeah. Um, I still kind of did like it, because I liked the characterization, and uh, yeah, the four kind of younger cadets. Even I even don't mind Wesley Crusher, I know a lot of people do. but So for me, I'm going to say hit. So in either case, that means that, you know, three hits. So we're going to say the episode's a hit. So... <clears throat> Let me see then. We're moving on to the next one. The next one is something that'll probably be uh, a little bit more 
responsive. Certainly it's going to get a happier response, I'm assuming, out of at least one of you. It's a character. Uh, it's a Voyager character. So hit or miss the character of Seska. Bian, as the guest, we're coming to you first. Ah, uh, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I love Seska. Oh, my God. She's one of my favorite Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think she, first of all, um, Martha Hackett does a wonderful, wonderful job with material she's given. Um, because it would have been really easy to take her in a really um, unwatchable direction just from dialogue. You know, I won't mm. say... The way she is scripted is a little hacky at times, mm. um, but I think Martha takes that and really runs with it and makes it uh, to a point where she's believable because she's not, I would argue, um, and this could be have something to do with her being undercover as a Bajoran, and, you know, we learned in Deep Space Nine that some of the Obsidian, origin, uh, uh, Obsidian Order agents had their memories altered, and so... I don't know if maybe she went through some kind of process with that, but I would not say she's your typical Cardassian. Um, she's much more of a sociopath. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I do think she's Obsidian Order. I don't think she's with Central Command. And um, I just think the things she will do and the, the, the places she'll go to and the, where they really took that character were, were great. But at the end, uh, spoiler alert, if you guys haven't seen it, she dies. And um, she dies going to reach for her child. So you see this, God, I hate to say humanity, but this, at least this spark of she does have feelings for things, but they're so buried under this need to be in control. Mm. I wouldn't say she doesn't have feelings. I'd say the problem is that she feels too strongly because it's clear that she has like an obsession with Chakotay, which veers on, you know, it, it, it kind of swiftly veers from love into hate or, you know, are the opposite sides of the same coin to just, like I said, pure obsession like with this man that she's she's got to, you know, have her way with him and she's got to best him. And yeah, it's just, it, it was super weird to see, but that's the kind of how I read the character in terms of, I don't really ascribe Cardassian things to her or, or any other racist things. I just see her as being a rather typical woman obsessed trope, which can be worrying at times and can be can be very problematic in a kind of um, fatal attraction kind of way. But as you said, I think is elevated by Martha Hackett kind of playing that very well and playing that villain part well and not playing it as a victim or or even as evil necessarily, because like you said, there is a lot of signs that she, she does care about things. Um, so yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's enough for me. <laughs> so uh, are you saying hit or miss anyway, Vian, for the character? <laughs> oh, hit, for sure. Of course. Uh, DK, thoughts from you then? Oh, uh, definitely a hit. Uh, as Vian said, Martha Hackett knocked it out of the park. I, I, you know, at, at times with material, it was very days of our lives. Uh, yeah. Kind of thing, and yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, frankly, she just deserves a promotion for you know sleeping with Chakotay because god damn it, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I dare you, a man. I'm sure they're sitting there at night listening to Hakuchi Moya got real, real bad, real fast. Uh, so yeah, and if you stay, if you started talking to her about boxing, I'd have just flushed the bastard out of the airlock, <laughs> yeah, so. 
<laughs> your vendetta yeah. against that single episode of Voyager is verging on the humorous now. Yes. I'm almost yeah. tempted to stick it in as a review just to see how, how angry you can get. I, I might be ill that week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think in Seska DK's defense, I would also be ill that week. <laughs> yeah, me too, to be honest. <laughs> it's just an hour of dead air, and it would still be better than the episode itself. <laughs> Oh, bless. Okay, the great Rhea Walston was in it. I don't anyway. understand why we make fun of Threshold when that episode exists. Yeah, fair enough. I'll I'll, I'll back that, <laughs> that up 100%. <laughs> I'm not getting involved in that debate because as soon as I no, say anything, I mean, I'm really threshold, threshold is absurd, but it's entertaining. It's that a is fun just, episode. Yeah, I agree. That's like Valium for your eyes, the fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we're dealing with anyway. Seska, you see, hit uh, in uh, terms of yes, the character. Definitely a hit. Definitely a hit. <laughs> we definitely veered a little off course there because yes. yeah, the fight was not the hit or miss. Oh, and, but, and uh, one more thing. Know. One more thing about Seska is that they Over. found really inventive ways to bring her back for a couple more episodes, mm. like the um, one where they go and yes. she has altered the uh, holodeck program. Worst case scenario, yeah. Yes, right, worst so. case scenario. Yeah, I mean, that, what, what a great idea. And uh, you're probably thinking of um, Shattered as well when they split the ship yeah. into different time periods and one of them exactly. is when the Kazon yeah. have the ship. So yeah, yeah, they do that there as well. But yeah, I, I think that shows how impactful she was as a villain in that even after she's dead, she reoccurs at least twice and is still very effective as a villain because she's great. But yeah, it's hard to disagree. I think Martha Hackett did a really good job. I think some of the writing on occasion, like I said, can veer towards problematic and leaves a bit to be desired, whether it be a tad sexist or whether it be like very soap opera-esque. Uh, as DK said, because that kind of, you know, uh, is it your child thing was was potentially groan-inducing. But yeah, I loved the character. I will say, and Vian, you're probably going to hate me for this, Martha Hackett looks a lot better as a Bajoran than she does as a Cardassian. <laughs> I'll tell no you that. Because the Cardassian makeup is doing nothing for her, unfortunately, if you ask me. Like, but never mind. I will give her also credit for making the Kazon interesting to me, because I found them dull as this water <laughs> until she turned up. I think everyone did. I think that's why she, like, yeah, pretty much straight away in the second yeah. season, they were like, let's give something interesting to these, you know, slightly unwashed Klingons. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I think we're all going to say uh, Seska is a hit. So, Vian, put down the knife. You <laughs> can relax. We didn't diss anything Cardassian just yet. So the all third right. thing on the list, <laughs> the third thing on the section for today, I'm hoping it's something we're all going to be familiar with, but I'm guessing it probably will be. Uh, it's a bit of a left field choice, but uh, it, I had it on my list and I'm kind of wanting to bring it up. So hit or miss the art of Juan Ortiz. And if you need me to explain further, do say. But Vian, what do you think? Hit or miss? Is this a fan artist? It, um, not, not a fan artist. I think it's kind of a, he's kind of official. Um, but he basically did episode posters for every episode of the original series and The Next Generation. Uh, they're officially licensed and everything, and I have a book of all the next-gen ones, all 170-odd, whatever it is, in episode poster form. Um, and, you know, you can get... I've seen a lot of Trek fans that have his art sort of as framed pieces on the wall and stuff, including myself. Yeah. I've got a Mirror Mirror one framed in my house, um, which I'll probably put an image of <laughs> on the episode. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't really find anything other than just a few random examples to put on screen for us on YouTube here, because I'd be here forever because there are like hundreds, but it's so weird because he does very expressionistic, I guess perhaps would be the word versions of, of the, the episode in poster form. And I love personally the way that they're very imaginative, but you know, they get the point across they're evocative. 
Um, but yeah, if, if you haven't seen any, do if you get a chance to look up Juan Ortiz, that's J-U-A-N-O-R-T-I-Z or Z. Uh, and yeah, just look up Juan Ortiz oh, and start your like I feel like I've probably seen some of them just looking at the ones that you have here. And, you know, I'm not going to knock an artist because obviously he, you know, got talent and a vision. I, I would say it's not my cup of tea. Okay, fair enough. Um, but then again, like I said, there are so dang many that there's probably going to be at least one or two amongst the 200 odd that he's done that you might think like, right. oh, I yeah. like what he's done there. It's quite imaginative or something. Um, but okay, you're, you're not fond of the examples that we have on screen, maybe is, is the best way to put it. That's fair enough. Um, what about you, DK? Are you familiar with uh, Juan Ortiz? I am. I, I do like his kind of minimalist style. Uh, I've not seen, I'll be honest, I've not seen the, the majority of his next generation posters. But I, you know, being a TOS nerd, I have seen those. And, I, you know, obviously some are better than others, but I, I do like his style, yeah. So it's, it's going to be a hit for me. I do yeah. like his uh, Trouble with Dribbles one. Remind me what that one is. <laughs> it's the uh, the Enterprise towards the bottom left of the picture, and it looks like a bunch of bubbles following it. It's uh, oh yes, I remember now. Yeah, I I do recall that. But yeah, I love. Obviously, I'm going to say a hit, but I love the fact that they're not just your average like you know cut and paste an image of the ship or the characters or whatever type thing. The way he incorporates themes of the episode or parts of the episode into the poster to make it cool or, or to make it a bit different like for example on screen you can see the one for the city on the edge of forever which is in the silhouette of the joan collins character but her hair is like the stars so it kind of it, it alludes to those sort of themes of the episode in a very real way and there's there's a quite a few like that there's a few where he uses the shape of the enterprise to represent something else in different cool ways which are completely escaping me right now of course as i try to think but uh yeah, and the one he uses a Klingon D7 in the style of a knife that's just plunging into a planet. So, yeah, lots of really cool sort of um, out there work, and I, I absolutely love them. I do recommend checking them out. And even if there's only one or two that you like, you can always, uh, you know, <laughs> find them and admire them or purchase them as uh, prints or posters. So, yeah, two hits and one kind of miss, we're going to say. So still going to say a hit overall. So... Yeah, I just wanted to shout them out. I thought it would be an interesting thing to put on the section instead of always doing the same characters and episodes and things. I, I do. I'll, I'll just I'll say his uh, enemy within poster is actually better, better and more entertaining than the episode. <laughs> What's that one again? Remind me. It's just got like kind of two really stylized Shatners, and no. uh, facing off against each other. It's very very nice design. I like that. Awesome. awesome. Next thing on the list is another VN special. Uh, it's a character that I'm probably going to have to explain for at least DK who this is, but I'm guessing VN might know. Uh, from Deep Space Nine, it's a Cardassian character, and I believe the pronunciation is Corinas. <laughs> Corinas, maybe. Uh, VN, do you know who she is? And would you say hit or miss? She's Obsidian Order. She's an agent that was oh, nice. sent to check in on things. Um, so. Let's see. Was this from the one with the uh, the prophecy and the the free snakes and? No. Or is that no? No, that's a different order agent. Um, I do know who she is. Um, she only has I think two scenes, and um, mm -hmm. you know, as far as Obsidian Order agent goes, um, she's low tier, I would assume, being put on this kind of thing without being. I don't know. She's in charge of an entire base of new class ships. Well. <laughs> In the sense that she's front and center, as opposed to mm. pulling the strings in the background, which is, I think, 
what most order agents would uh, aspire to. <laughs> so, uh, no, she's, she's a perfectly fine character. Cool, cool. Uh, just she's to, not to judge me, Cardassians, but I like her. <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't think she would be. But yeah, in case anybody does need reminding, uh, this is from the episode "Defiant" from DS Nine, and she is the Obsidian Order agent that is basically tasked with uh, trying to find Thomas Riker, and uh, you know stop him who has captured the Defiant, and he's trying to unveil this secret Cardassian Keldon class ship fleet yard type thing that uh, he knows that they have going on, and in the end she fails miserably because he does expose them. So. Not a victory, shall we say, for her, but, you know, uh, an interesting character, I thought, and notable, which is the other thing that brought her to my attention, notable because she's played by the same actress who plays Rachel Garrett, captain of the Enterprise C. So, yeah, very different. You would never be able to tell, given the Cardassian makeup, I think, but uh, it's, it's interesting that it's the same performer. So, yeah, DK, anyway, would you say hit or a miss? Well, uh, as anybody that's listened to Trek of Mine will know, complete shocker, my memory isn't the best when it comes to just general knowledge. So thank you for that little reminder. Uh, I still Sorry. don't really remember. I can remember the Thomas Riker thing. I, I just, she doesn't stand out for me, but I don't really have any opinion on this one way or the other, because I honestly just cannot remember the episode whatsoever. Right. That's fine. I, I will say, I will say, uh, a soft hit simply because when her image appeared in the screen, I did not want to punch the screen in. So I presume I actually <laughs> liked the character. Yeah. I'm going to say the same soft hit. It's a shame she didn't get more to do. And I didn't like that, you know, she was portrayed as such a failure. But, you know, it's Trisha O'Neill at the end of the day. And she was really good. And uh, I wanted to see more of the character, which has got to be a good sign. So I'm also going to go soft hit. And I think we can all say hit for that bizarre obscure character <laughs> i decided to pick because you know i think we've done most of the major cardassians in the section i didn't want to pick any more up again so uh related to uh, that you, anyway, you didn't want to bring up certain ones for me to uh eviscerate no because i know you wouldn't want to do that to Ducat. so you know i know fair. i'm just teasing <laughs> so yeah related to that and, and sort of that plot anyway uh the next thing is a ship uh and it's cardassian so hit or miss the Cardassian Keldon class. Vian, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but what do you think? Hit or miss? Um, as far as Cardassian ships go, it's not a bad one. I, I personally, I like their architecture, but I think their ships tend to be pretty ugly. Um, mm. So interior, nice. I'm a fan. Exterior, eh, you know, let's. they look like bugs. Come on. Of appreciate their ships and that they remind me of um like horseshoe crabs and what you guys probably don't have those over there um no they, we do we vaguely know well they, they look kind of pre there's something prehistoric about their ships that are cool looking but they don't strike me as something particularly aerodynamic you know not that you need to be aerodynamic in space so true, true. Eh, i always found it ships, i don't know I always found it weird that they're basically the same shape as the Cardassian symbol of like the species. Yeah, they're the same. It'd be like if, yeah, it'd be like if Starfleet flew around in Delta badge ships. Yeah. You know, it just it's it's kind of weird to me. It's a but, weird uh, yeah. design. Their ships are just weird designs. Um, you know, I, I would I would say I'm fairly neutral on this. Okay, so we're gonna probably say either soft hit or straight down the middle, maybe. Um, DK, what do you think? I've always kind of liked. Uh, Cardassian ships. They they're not particularly outstanding. Uh, 
but I, I do have a soft spot for him, so I'm going to give this a hit. Okay. Now, I don't have anything against Cardassian ships in general, but I'm going to say that the Keldon class is a huge miss for me because, quite frankly, it's just a Gallo class with a slightly different fin on the back of it. They've done nothing to it. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the most imaginative they could get. Like, come on, man, make an effort. So yeah, I remember just being hugely disappointed and ticked off when I was like, "Ooh, you're coming this cool experimental new class of ship," and I was like, it, "What? How are they different?" And then I was like, "Oh, okay, you've added fins to the back. Wow, that makes all <laughs> the difference." But yeah, so not a fan. <laughs> Suffice to say, in my case, so. But anyway, it still would be called a hit because I think we went soft hit and uh, hit from DK. So, but either way, I think you would accept my gripe that it's not different enough from the other one. So, um, right, where were we? The next thing, there's only a couple more. So, the next thing is back to the Klingon theme. It's a character, a movie character, just for you, DK. Uh, so, hit or miss, Commander Cruz. Great, Scott. What do we think? <laughs> oh, it's a hit. It's a hit. Yeah, anybody played by Christopher Lloyd is is a hit. Um, he's just a talented actor. Um, I've never actually watched this entire film. But, what? Um, oh my! I, it's like you want to hurt me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my I, I do what I can. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going with a hit just from the fact that it's Christopher Lloyd. Okay, cool. Sorry, GK, you were saying hit, so uh, reasons as to why. Yes, reasons. Just oh, I just, I just love the fact that he goes down. He gets one of those microbes. He tries strangling him and just crushes it with bare hands. Nothing to report <laughs> here. Yeah, I'm a hard bastard. Let's move on. <laughs> nice. And I just like that. You know, when when this Klingon bird of prey hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he, he channels 1.21 megawatts of star power whenever he's around. Yeah, I just like Back to the Future. But anyway, <laughs> in terms of Cruz, no, I think he's really good. It's, it's you know, it is Christopher Lloyd, which is a great, you know, a great performance anyway. But I just love the way that the character is written because it's at a time when the Klingons weren't necessarily one thing or the other, you know. They, they no, weren't he is, he is such, essentially but... the template for the race going forward. Yeah, in a lot of ways, absolutely. But it's also, like I said, he he maintains. In a way, I think he's kind of a precursor to the likes of the Dura sisters, in that the Klingons as a whole aren't, you know, sworn enemies at war with us, but the odd one of them can still be a vengeful bastard, <laughs> effectively. And uh, you know, spoiler alert, but his killing of Kirk's son still really hits home and gets me very emotional. Sorry, Vian, if you hadn't reached that part of the film. Yeah, I know, but, uh, I know what happened. But uh, yeah, so no, I think he's really, and even his last fight, his end fight with Kirk. I think in that movie is really good. So yeah, fantastic character grip. I just like that he's, he's so obstinate. You know, Kirk says, "Yeah, what about him? No, why? Because you wish it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. One last one for today, then, and it's Klingon related again. So, and it is another ship uh, because I do like my ships. Apologies, Will, if you're listening. So, <laughs> uh, from the Kelvin timeline, hit or miss to the Klingon D4 bird of prey. Ah, Vian, we're gonna come to you first. Miss, <laughs> just, do you like to uh, explain reasons I, why or, or no? Well, I'm just well, you know, I'm not a big ship nerd to begin with, and mm. I'm just looking at the design of this, and it's like they're trying too hard <laughs> to make it edgy and yeah, different. That's so weird. And, 
those are almost my exact words that I have written down. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Pretty much, more or less. Yeah, I mean, I'll get to it eventually. Okay, well, go ahead, just... because that's all I really... Yeah, this is a no for me. <laughs> yeah, apologies for jumping in, DK, but I just found it so weird that it was almost word for word, because I was like, it's a miss for me, because it's just... It's over-designed. Like, they've put too much into it. It's It's got way too much on it. For a start, it's like, as I said, it's like they've tried to look edgy and like, oh, we'll take the basic shape and then, you know, Zack Snyderize it, I guess, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, <laughs> and it just looks terrible. Like the basic, yeah. I, I, unlike Vian, I love the Klingon Bird of Prey design, the original one. I think it's fantastic. It's not yeah, the sort of thing you would mess with. You know? Yeah, but it looks like they've taken just the very basic outline of that original one and then cobbled a bunch of crap on top of it for no reason, and it ruins a perfectly good, elegant design for me. So anyway, I'm going to say miss. But by all means, feel free, DK, to say you like it. But, you know, somebody might have to stick up for it. So what are you going to say about this? Well, you know me. I like all kinds of wacky and weird shit designs, you know, USS Chandley. But no, no. In fact, you know, uh -huh. do you know what? That that uh, front cross section. Do you know what I see when I look at that? What's that? It's the Winnebago from Spaceballs, dude. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh my god, that's all I'm gonna say now because you're absolutely right. It is. It's the Winnebago with wings from Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a mess. Yeah, like a lot of the Kelvin timeline, they just overdid it and they uh, overdesigned, not necessary. Anyway, so uh, Miss, but if you're a fan, I can certainly see that there's lots to like if you if you like that aesthetic. Or as I said, there is it is at least similar-ish to the original design. It's not like you know they went wildly left field. So no, but looking at the the, the middle design, you know what kind of sums it up for me. It is overdesigned to the point where it's like there's a transformer and there's a Michael Bay transformer. And yeah. This is <laughs> yeah, this is like the Michael Bay Transformer of Klingon Birds of Prey. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, well, you have an original design. Why did you feel the need to go this with it? You know? So, yeah, fair enough. I also think it's smaller. Like, from my memory, it only appears in one brief scene in Star Trek Into Darkness, but it seems more like a kind of one or two person assault craft rather than like a proper ship, which, again, isn't really what a bird of prey is. But anyway, that's a very nerdy uh, complaint. So <clears throat> with that out of the way, then. We, uh, we, yeah, that's an interesting debate. And I don't think we had too much disagreement there. So we're all still friends. And we can come out of the hit on this section and into the next section, which is going to be the start of looking at the episode uh, this week. As I've mentioned, we're doing the episode Barge of the Dead from Voyager, which is, I believe, the third episode of the sixth season. Uh, and yeah, we're going to begin our analysis of the episode. Analysis, Mr. <sighs> so. Uh, before I jump in with any, because uh, I have a little bit of a behind-the-scenes information, do either of you have any spoiler-free initial thoughts on the episode before I do that? No, go for it. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. Okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, just uh, to give you a quick background on this, then the basic plot line for this episode was originally intended to be seen in the Deep Space Nine episode, Soldiers of the Empire, which we're reviewing later this series. Uh, Ronald D. Moore's original idea for the episode was for Worf and the crew of the Rotaran to answer a distress call from a Klingon colony, and when they arrive, they find all of the inhabitants missing. Nearby is a lake surrounded in a mysterious fog, and when they approach it, a boatman appears and takes them to the entrance to Grethor. Once inside, they meet a friend of Martok's who wants them to take him with them, and then they meet Worf's father, Moog. 
There were a number of reasons this particular story never made it into production. Firstly, Ira Stephen Bear felt that the episode was trying to accomplish too much, showing both the realistic day-to-day operations of a Klingon bird of prey and a mythic journey to the afterlife. Excuse me. Bear also felt it was too late in the season to do such a philosophical show dealing with life, death, and hell. As well as this, the concept proved to be too complex and expensive. After Moore transferred to the Voyager staff following the end of DS9, the basic premise was modified and made to work with Voyager, and the end result was this episode. So there we go. Could have been very different. <laughs> and probably not as popular if it was a Wolf episode with you, Vian. True. Uh, the Gates of Grethor were one of the most complicated shots on Voyager, uh, combining a Dan Curry matte painting with Photoshop pictures, CG environment modeling, and digital muse coals and water that all work together, and I think look pretty dang amazing. Um, <laughs> this is a, a bit of a cheeky one, but despite playing her mother, Karen Austin is only four years older than Roxanne Dawson. Hollywood, people. <laughs> uh, enough said about that. <laughs> Um, following the episode's completion, both Ronald D. Moore and Brian Fuller left Voyager because of dissatisfaction with their lack of control over its direction and the perceived absence of strong story arcs across multiple episodes. Barge of the Dead was actually one of several episodes that addressed Torres' strange relationship with her parents and her Klingon heritage. Okay. Uh, scholars have offered a range of opinions on Grethor, with the setting and ideology compared to Norse mythology, Greek mythology, and Catholic theology. Uh, critical response to this episode was mixed. Some television critics commended the focus on Torres and praised Dawson's performance, while others were critical of the representation of Klingon spirituality. And that's it. That's all I have for the uh, behind-the-scenes section, a little bit of information on the episode. So anything there that uh, shocked or, uh, you know, uh, stood out for either of you? Not I from do- that, no. No, I don't like uh, the original concept. I don't. I don't. I didn't think it it would have worked for Worf. It's, it's more or less the same, except it would have. Used yeah, but the setup sounded episode. a little hokey to me. Yeah, it wouldn't have fit in that episode because I, I kind of agree. It's absolutely true that Soldiers of the Empire were already doing a kind of average day on a bird of prey story. So chucking this in randomly because I don't even think there's time in forty five minutes to do it really. So doing it in what would have been what like twenty two half of an episode would never have worked. So yeah, I'm kind of glad we didn't end up with that because it would have been a bit of a mess of an episode probably. But anyway, so um, yeah, as I say, um, as I always like to explain, we break our reviews down into sections, uh, like writing and plot, acting, directing, VFX, sound and music, etc. Uh, and we don't do things chronologically because we don't want to be just a recap of an episode, which presumably you've seen. <clears throat> so we're going to, you know, deal with anything that comes up and do it, you know, in a non-linear style and just go wherever the conversation takes us. Uh, the first thing I want to look at, just to be a little different than the norm today, is the writing and the plot of the episode. So, Vian, as the guest, do you have anything you wanted to bring up? Any thoughts first on the writing and the plot of this? Um, I thought it was an interesting direction to go, considering um, the character's history over the first, you know, kind of six seasons, where she she very obviously has some internalized hatred for part of her own identity and so to take that and and have her realize man I kind of need to deal with this um I think it needed to be done at some point um is this the best we've seen for Bellana? is this the best writing for her no um but I think it was something they kind of had to do um I I, I think writing wise you know it could have been a little better but there are some really great moments 
Okay, cool. Uh, what about you, DK? Any initial thoughts before I go into a little beat by beats on the uh, writing and the plot? I kind of, I, I, unlike Vian, I kind of, I, I don't know. I really got into this one. I've only okay. seen it a couple of times, and as you know, I've only really watched Voyager through once. But uh, mm. yeah, this is this. I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't looking forward to watching it again because it because my memory's so bad. It's always a mixed bag. Could I end up with something that I don't <laughs> like? But yeah, I really like this. I really like the uh, Orphean aspects of it, and uh, yeah, mm. it's sometimes it's a little on the nose, but I think uh, atmosphere wise, I think they captured it. Okay, cool. Uh, I had a thought about the, oh no, about the episode. Um, no, I like the episode. I liked it when it aired okay. and I like it now. I just wouldn't say, is it in my top 10 episodes? No, but no, and without, it is a good episode. That's the thing. And without bringing them into this, because we're not reviewing them, I do think you're absolutely right. There are other episodes that deal with Balana's character and her struggles a lot better. Um, than this one particularly, which again is this one isn't bad, just that there are others that are so good and do such a great job. Um, but you know, I, I, I will touch on it briefly here before we go into it later. But I will say that despite that, Roxanne Dawson still does an absolutely outstanding job in this episode, she always so, does, she always yeah. does, yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, we'll get to that with the acting, but we're dealing with the writing and the plot. So, first of all, I just want to go through my notes because I've made them kind of you know bit by bit as I could trying to make them relevant. Uh, so the first thing I noted is that, um, like Errand of Mercy that we looked at, DK, uh, this episode straight in to the action, made accident that yeah. Torres is having. There's no preamble, no little pre-credit sequence or anything like that. We're just straight in with the story, um, which is always a slightly iffy sign because it could mean that the episode's going to feel rushed or there's a lot to try and cram in. So it's, you know, it, it's a mixed bag on occasion, that one, but... It was definitely interesting to see, and it definitely held your interest because you were like, whoa, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> um, so that worked for me. I love that the uh, the Klingon debris mystery, like what was this bit of debris? Was it Klingon? Were they in the Delta Quadrant first? But the thing that I liked the most about it is that um, Bellana comes up with the quite logical explanation of, well, it could just be that the Borg assimilated a bird of prey and flushed a part of it out of an airlock. And I was like, wow, you never really hear the, you know, the actual clever, <laughs> obvious explanation from people in these things. So I was like, oh, wow, yeah, let's celebrate and make a big deal of it. And she does the same thing later on when she ends up on the barge of the dead. She does something which nobody in Star Trek ever does. And I wish they did where she just goes computer end program. Because, yeah. of course, you would just assume that first, wouldn't you? You know, why would you immediately leap to, oh, I must be on, you know, the ferry to the underworld or whatever. So I just love that she's never portrayed as stupid. She, even in little moments, she kind of, she has the intelligence to look beyond the obvious, perhaps. Um, so, yeah. Or to the obvious, maybe. Um, the next note that I have here is just that um, when she's talking about, you know, trying to figure out the mystery and Harry's getting really annoyed because it's 3 a.m. and then Neelix turns up. I was like, well, Neelix is not what you want to see when you're tired at three in the morning, is he? I don't know. Ne Neelix turning up saying, I've, I've replicated so many barrels of blood wine. That I could live with. <laughs> Especially when I've been dealing with Harry all that time. And Harry's saying, no, I can't figure out. It's 3 a.m. I just want to finish. And I just part of me just went, and that's why you're still a freaking ensign after seven years. Oh! oh! Okay, that, that being said, I actually paused the episode there and I messaged garrett's wife to tell her i said you know what i'm watching this and it's such a simple scene but garrett was so real in that moment mm. of that just like oh my god can we stop you know it was just very genuine and so many times harry has the worst writing on the show mm. yeah. and 
Uh, I just thought that the way it was such a genuine, real interaction between those two. And I really appreciate what Garrett did with that. Just this little inconsequential bit of dialogue. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Vian, because again, it's quite, we're, we're kind of quite used to seeing the whole Starfleet. Let's, you know, go all hours and do our best. And we, we're just so happy to be here, gosh darn it. And I really related to Harry in that moment when he was like, look, I'm, I'm no closer to an answer. It's three in the morning. I want to go to bed. Can we just look at this tomorrow? Because my word, we've all felt like that haven't we? <laughs> yeah. at times. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I always felt weird because it's obvious, like, from relatively early that this scene is is not reality per se. It's like Torres's, I guess, hallucination or dream before dying, as they call it. Um, but in terms of the dialogue, there was some really good stuff in when... Tuvok is kind of, you know, revealing that this isn't reality because he starts criticizing Torres. And then he you basically get his and Torres's opposing descriptions of a batleth. And I think it's really telling that that's like, it, it's not very subtle, but it's her metaphor for kind of Klingons themselves when she says like, like the Klingons, it's it's clumsy and it's over, you know, overly gaudy and overstated. Absolutely. So I was like, wow, that's, that's really clever to do because, you know, you're, you're talking about one thing, you're dealing with something else entirely. And I like writing like that, you know, subtext or whatever metaphor. So, yeah. Um, and it is, it's interesting that Tuvok representing the other side in her subconscious is, you know, no, if you actually cared enough to look, it's elegant, it's balanced, it's designed for a purpose, you know? So it, it, again, it's interesting that when you know the context, this could be the two warring sides of her psyche, reconciling her heritage, I guess, in a way. And again, I like that about scenes where it's not just two characters talking and who knows what it's about, you know? Um, yeah. Did either of you think anything of this scene or no? I, I, I love did, that scene. Yeah. yeah, I did pick up on the uh, on the overstated as a, you know, a general thing about Klingons. Definitely, definitely. And uh, you, Vian? Well, see, I don't know when I would get into this, so I'll just bring it up now, is that, you know, I grew up, I was born and raised in the American South, and I, for a long time, tried to deny that aspect of, of who I was. And, well, it's not really the South, because it's the northern part of the South, and then it's this and that, and, and I, I, I don't have an accent, and this and, and all that, and, oh, Southerners are stupid. And I so I kind of relate to this struggle she has, and this, this, um, seeing an aspect of your your own culture and going well yeah it's it's stupid it's clunk, it's clunky it's it's you know and that's like me going oh yeah they're hicks they're rednecks they're this you know and denying other parts that that's something that's a part of you is more dynamic than just that and mm. that she can't see that yet yeah, so. I think without wanting to get too deep, I think it's also worth noting that, like like a lot of Trek, it can function as a, a metaphor on it on a, all kinds of levels. This kind of internal, I guess, internal hatred of yourself. So I can imagine with I absolutely, you know, I'm not downplaying your your relevance at all. Um, but we've all felt a little bit like an outsider or like this part of ourselves that we can't deal with for whatever reason and you know it's perhaps worth mentioning as we record in pride month that there might be ways that people who are lgbtq might represent you know oh i've got this internal struggle because maybe i don't want to be this way but it is how i am and i've got to learn to accept it or maybe i blame 
part of my the way that I am for a parent or a family member abandoning me like Balana does. And it's interesting, like I said, it can be a lot of things to people, but it's also dealt with quite sensitively. And with Roxanne's portrayal, it's always, you know, I always relate to it, even though I can't specifically place any one moment of relevance. But as I said, we've all felt a bit outsider-ish and we've all felt, I think, like we hated ourselves at one time or another. So I always kind of loved that, those, you know, those moments that spoke to me on that level. And I was always more, you know, in line with Bellana when she was dealing with like mental illness and depression personally, as opposed to self-hatred. But um, not not that I don't particularly have that. You know, it's just one of those things. But yeah, did you think uh, something similar about that? Or did, does something about it, you know, speak to you in any particular way that you want to mention, DK? Uh, not, not to the extent that uh, other people might have. I mean, you know, where I come from, I'm not a particularly big fan. Uh, so I do, I do like to deny that. I deny that as strongly as possible where I am now. But uh, but yeah, not not to the point where I'm, I'm I'm more I have more problems when you know with regards to the depression, the the mental health aspect of things, and not so much an identity. But as you say, everyone at some point in their lives looks in a mirror and doesn't like you know what they see. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I've referenced sexuality, but it could also be, uh, you know, although we're not remotely qualified to talk about this, it could be like a race thing. Maybe, you you know, maybe somebody doesn't like the race they are. Or again, in a similar way, blames that for being ostracized or not liked by certain people or, or family members or whatever. So, you know, it, it functions on that level really well and doesn't, you know, d disregard, I think, any of it. So it's interesting to me. But yeah, your, your kind of specific example, Vian, is an interesting one because it means that you can latch on even more precisely and kind of relate, I think, even harder with this, the key character with Balana. So, yeah, did you have anything else in the episode that spoke to that particularly? Well, it was interesting to go back and watch. Of course, I've watched it as an adult, but when it aired, I was a teenager, and I think I related more to just her. I was a very angry teenager. Go figure. I was a very angry teenager, <laughs> and, you know, I think I, I related. A, I just thought she spoke to me on that level. And going back and watching it as an adult, even just yesterday, was when I kind of realized, because only in very recent years have I begun embracing uh, the fact that I'm from the South and, and, and saying, yeah, I'm from the South, as opposed to I used to try and hide that and downplay it. And so going back and watching it now and seeing her kind of okay, I'm going to try and reconcile this part of myself. I, I And she's still fighting it the whole way and because she doesn't know what she's supposed to be. And, you know, being a liberal, neurodivergent, chronically ill, you know, bisexual woman from the South, I'm like, yeah, I get that. I'm not articulating it particularly. No, I, I think you are. I think you are, honestly. Um... No, I think you're, you absolutely are, because like you said, there's we're all multitudes and there's different things that it could respond to in different ways or different strengths. And for me, it comes down to the crux of the episode, which is explained in the end in that really fantastic scene, because the thing that I relate to the most is just what do you want me to be? You know, do you yeah. am, am I not being the perfect child, the perfect co-worker, the perfect friend, the perfect lover? And it's like, we've we've got to have all felt that pressure at some time in our lives. And I definitely have really strongly felt like I'm not being a good enough, you know, son to my parents or a good enough sibling to my siblings or a good enough friend to my friends or etc. Especially if you've come up uh, in, in abuse, um, as I did. Hmm. And it's like, 
I took to this day, I'm almost 40 years old and I'll still have the, wow, I am just never going to be enough for you feelings yeah. of, towards certain people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's insidious, but it is, you know, and so it does I come down to a lot moment. of it does come down to a lot of that self-loathing and learning to kind of love at least aspects of yourself. And it's an interesting thing to explore in, in a sci-fi context. So uh, yeah, brilliant. I'll lighten the mood then and say that the next thing I wanted to shout out is just a line because I thought it was really funny and I hope I'm not stealing anybody's favorite line. Um, but I did love it when the doctor's explaining the situation to Seven of Nine and uh, he sort of says, it's Klingons, think Kapla, think long live the empire. And he just says, think again, which is <laughs> just... <laughs> It's just a nice pithy bit of dialogue, and uh, yeah, I also kind of like that Klingon drinking song. I don't know why it just it stuck in my head. <laughs> um, so the next thing I wanted to deal with is kind of a, a running thing throughout, and it's basically again the subtext that is not very well hidden of Bellana looking upon Captain Janeway in the same way as her mother, and the kind of link there. Um, so you basically you start with. Janeway in the initial fantasy land area, whatever, uh, calling her Lana and her saying, my mum used to call me that. And Janeway's response, oh, well, I'm in, I'm in good company. Um, and then it's Bellana who brings up her mother to Tom and says, did you know she put me in a Klingon monastery? She's on my mind because it's 10 years since we last spoke. It's, a, it's an unfortunate anniversary. Um, so like, she's obviously got her mother on her mind specifically as well. And that's why she's projecting that. And then Again, later on with uh, Janeway when she won't let her do with th this dumb ritual to, you know, half kill herself or whatever. And she's like, well, you're just like my mother is dedicated to Starfleet principles as she was to cling on honor. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to think you're proud of me, but mum never had the chance to be. And I just want her to know me the way that you do. I don't want her to die thinking of me as a disgrace. And so I was like, oh, it's interesting. So is there a little bit of this, like, th again, there's ways you can interpret this, but is there a little bit of, like, guilt that she's got this mother figure that she has a better relationship with? Is there a little bit that still doesn't think she's good enough for Janeway in that level? Or it's fascinating. And then you you literally get Miral in Janeway's uniform and saying, request denied at the very end, which is like, all right, now we're, now we're no re not remotely subtle at this stage. Um, but, yeah, I was interested to think what to know what you guys think of the uh, the comparisons between those two characters in the episode. Well, I didn't, I didn't really think of it as having a, a guilt aspect now until you say that, but I can definitely see where she might feel that way. Um, I, I, I yeah. Certainly there's going to be a link in her mind between these sort of maternal figure, because I wouldn't exactly call Jane Wick, but a, a female authority figure. Yeah. 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 Um, because so, yeah, I'd argue her mother's not very maternal at times either. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So I think there's probably a link up in her mind, probably, that you know, she was never enough for her mother, and she probably is going to deal with that kind of issue for her entire life because, you know, the formation of attachment styles and the way we process things, uh, you know, there's certain things, once they're hardwired in, they're there forever, and... There are studies that say, you know, the way your parent speaks to you as a child becomes your inner monologue. Yeah. And you can learn to deal with it, but it never goes away. And so I'm sure there are aspects of her that feels like she's not enough for Janeway either. She's not enough for J Well, they frankly all but say that later on, you know, about being the perfect person. And, um, yeah. You know, we see this strive for perfection in seven of nine in a totally different way. But uh, I think it's something that a lot of people and a lot of women in particular deal with. So to see the way that 
Belana deals with that pressure versus the way Seven of Nine deals with that pressure and drive is uh, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that, this wasn't really an episode where Seven had any purpose, really, or anything to do, um, to the point that I kind of really resented when it felt very almost comically shoehorned in when she was like, you know, Belana was having to live with how she felt, and it was always, you know, oh, well, you, you keep me to one side even though you claim to love me from tom and you know you claim to you know want want your job but you were always arguing or whatever and then randomly you just get seven of nine was like yeah and you don't listen to my ideas about engineering i was like really i mean come on i know you've got to involve every character but that's so stupid on the grand scheme yeah. and of all these these great mythic things that he's dealing with and then it's like yeah and listen to me at work uh, like that is so petty <laughs> and pathetic really you know but uh, yeah, maybe that was just me that didn't like that. But I really re responded negatively to that one. But um, yeah, but no, I mean, related to what you were saying about like, you know, not feeling good enough for her mom and being a disappointment, even the actual script of the episode or, or the kind of central theme of, oh, this scroll says that she's now condemned entirely because of me. So it is literally my fault. You know, it, it's the sins of the parents or, of the child is reflected in the parents. And that's why I've done it. And now I have to be the one to go and save her and i was kind of like that is so messed up really when you think about it like it's not your responsibility at all and yeah it's a klingon culture thing and that's what they're using what they're, they're you know that the writers are feeding from here but it's so messed up no no i i agree i agree yeah so it's a, again it's an interesting universal thing that uh, that is explored in this episode with the sci-fi lens what about you dk you've been very quiet any thoughts on, on that from you it's it's interesting. I watched this with uh, another person, and that other person also has not spoke to their mother in over ten ah, years. Okay, and wow. okay. I I can tell you, it's it absolutely is guilt on the part of Delana. It was pointed out to me by the person I was watching it with because even though the the reason this person hasn't spoke is entirely in the other person, they still feel a massive sense of guilt in that if only they could have done a bit more, maybe things would have been different. So, yeah, I think you're always going to think that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it, you know, it did add, add obviously an extra layer because I haven't lived that experience. So, mm. yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if that's what you know caused this to be a very powerful episode to me. But it was. I, I know a lot of people have said it uh, over the years, but I never really picked up on how much of a, a maternal figure Janeway is to the crew on Voyager. And, just certain uh, ones more than others, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. But uh, it wasn't until this episode that that kind of hit home for me because yeah. the person I was watching it with also sees Janeway as that maternal kind of figure because when they were going through their own problems, uh, you know, they had Star Trek to fall back on and they saw Janeway, Janeway as that not idealised mother figure, but a close mm figure to what they had than you know yeah. reality i think yeah I, I can't necessarily relate to that i definitely see that that being the case and i'm a huge fan of voyager and i certainly see that but for me the, the stronger version of that as i've explained in the past was always seeing picard as a paternal figure <laughs> so i kind of relate to it like when i was going through a tough time and having struggles with my parents and not talking to my dad i kind of latched onto that character and to patrick stewart's portrayal so i can definitely see where that might happen and as i said that's it, interesting that it could be the age thing yeah because i was similar yeah. but I, I mean i was kind of similar with kirk yes my paternal figure was a sleazy bastard but yes <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough um 
Awesome. So let's see. Uh, any other thoughts uh, from behind from you about uh, any of this stuff or, or would you rather not talk about it? It's getting very deep all of a sudden. We're getting very psychological into this. So, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Well, no, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll continue. Fair enough. Um, the one thing I did want to say is this is this is part of the episode that bugged me and I don't want it to get bogged down into a discussion about, you know, theology or, or religion or whatever, but I kind of hated that they had they paid the lip service to this thing about Janeway saying, I'm not going to let you do this. And then Bellana trying to snap back with, oh, so you're repressing my like freedom of worship or whatever. And, you know, Janeway, oh, would, would you, I wouldn't let somebody sacrifice a child. That's an absurd example. And I was like, this is such a strong and powerful debate. And you're giving it like three minutes in the middle of an episode and doing a really bad job of it as well, <laughs> like really poorly handling it. So I kind of wish it wasn't in the episode because it just, to me, it it rang incredibly hollow and didn't really, it, it didn't have any purpose other than the writers sort of saying, yeah, we know this is perhaps something we need to mention. And I didn't think it was dealt with well at all, uh, which, you know, it could make an episode within itself and it would be, you know, controversial potentially. But yeah. So did you guys have a, a similar thoughts or, or opposing thoughts to me on that one? It didn't, it didn't, it didn't create an adverse reaction in me as it obviously did in you. I can see that they did brush it off quite. I my, my general negative feeling about this story is it, it didn't have long enough to explore it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of, and I mean, a lot of the aspects of this episode. So, uh, I mean, probably get to it later. But yeah, I could have done with this being a, a two parter and they could have explored a lot of these things a lot better. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I think it's, it's had more than enough to be a two parter in it does feel very rushed in the old style like we've got to cram everything into 44 minutes kind of thing so like even in in the day and age of streaming where you can have episodes that go to an hour or an hour and five minutes or whatever i think it would have benefited from having a bit more space to breathe but no yeah. the thing that bugged me was like this this idea of like well there's this it's so stupid and i hate it and it's i don't know why this bugs me but this idea of like there's this ritual i can do that will place me near enough to death that will then send me to the afterlife and therefore you have to let me do this and then Janeway just does and just like Paris I'm like yeah I can't believe that Janeway would agree to this either it's beyond stupid and yeah. like you know me you know I'm a person of faith but I also would never really expect a Starfleet captain to be like yeah kill yourself why not yeah <laughs> again it's going back to time limitations it's a quick way to get from point A to point B yeah, like I that's the thing though, as I was thinking about like how would I correct it? And I was like, do you know what I would probably do is just have her for whatever reason still have like internal injuries or something and fall back into the coma so that she doesn't have to voluntarily be like, Well, kill me, and then I'll go back and we'll do it this way. And it's like, oh, this is so this entire plot is just so gubbins. It's just oh, nonsense. No, I have and this... to disagree. I have to disagree with that. I think it was vital that she do this willingly and not just uh, conveniently was still injured. I, I think that is an important aspect to the act of what she is doing. I think I agree with you in terms of it's important that she's, but you get that anyway, that she's willing to do the transference thing. Like if you'd had some kind of discussion about, oh, if ever I ended up in that situation again, I've learned there's a thing I can do. I don't know. I, I'm not a writer. I don't know. That, <laughs> you know, something I can do where I could take her place or whatever. Um, well, but yeah, I, I mean. I, I have to disagree. I, I think the pacing on this episode is tight, but I think it works in its favor. I think if we did stretch this out to two episodes, it would be a little cloying. Um, 
I, I agree that the scene between, you know, Bellana and Janeway discussing whether it's okay. I mean, it's short and to the point, but it, it was a necessary conversation. But I think if we started to stretch this plot into a two-parter, it would just be, um, it would ruin the flow. Mm. I, I can definitely see how that might be a, a complaint for sure. And I, and yeah, it might well be the case, but I just think there were things that needed longer to explore that really weren't. And that was one of them for me, not just because I didn't like that the actual debate itself wasn't really given other than lip service, but just I didn't personally believe that Jamie would be turned around so quickly. Like I love, don't get me wrong, I was affected by Bologna's speech of, as I mentioned earlier, you know, oh, I just want my mum to be as proud of me as you are. And I've grown so much and everything, but I was like, it makes Janeway look like a sucker when she's just like, no, oh, you've wooed me over. Okay, kill yourself. I was like, I really don't buy that she would just switch her allegiance that quickly just from one like, oh, but but I love you so much kind of thing. And it's just like, mm, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just didn't buy it for whatever reason. Does that make sense? Or am I just being harsh, maybe? No, again. Being harsh, Mike. No, well, I'm going to say it again. We just bring bring our experiences to the table. It is what it is. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to, you know, just shit on it, but for me, it was just that one particular thing was just like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I wasn't comfortable with it for whatever reason. Anyway, um, having said that, I do like, uh, you know, I, I do like the conflict scene when she actually ends up back on the barge. So the whole scene between Bellana and Morale when they actually keep arguing and then, you know, she even says we're still having the same fight we had, even though we're now heading toward the afterlife, basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> Again, sorry to try and be humorous for a second, but I wrote in my notes, I was a little bit confused because um, when Tuvok appears again, he knocks her into, and I was like, is it a limbo state or is it hell? Oh, wait, Neelix is here. It's definitely hell. Hey. <laughs> Not cool, Mike. Not cool. I had to, and, and, and then additionally, the doctor says he's doing opera. Oh, yeah, you're definitely in hell. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the implication. I'm just joking. I love everyone, really. I know. Um, yeah, yeah. Neelix was just taking her along to uh, the viewing gallery and making her sit through the fight for eternity. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh. Let it go. <laughs> oh, so we know what your version of a nightmare hell would be. <laughs> just being forced to watch that episode on loop for the rest of your life. Well, at least this way, I'd get some peace in eternity. I'd be asleep all the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, no, but I do like as well that as much as I complain that it's it's there's not really enough time in the episode's very abrupt and it does very much end abruptly with Torres kind of waking up from this and hugging Janeway and then we're done. There's not even like a decompress or a you know debriefing about what happened moment. But yeah. I do think it's good that the episode at least acknowledges that with Belana because when she does kind of come to accept everything, they actually say, "Okay, you've taken the first step of your journey." And I was like, good. So you don't immediately be like, and now you're cured because that's not how life works. So I'm kind of pleased they didn't do that. And uh, for whatever reason, it always stuck in my head that her mother says, you know, we'll see each other again in Stovacore or when you get home. Because I was like, I'm kind of annoyed that we never got payoff from that because that's one of many reasons why I was annoyed that Voyager got back on like the last shot of the series because I was like, there's so many things to explore with everyone's family and stuff. And how did they deal with this? And yeah, so it's kind of annoying that we still don't actually know if her mother even is dead or not, really. You know, we just know that point, she named her point daughter of after contention. Her. Point of What's contention. That? I think that was the proper way for Voyager to end because everybody can go with their own theory of what happens to the crew now. 
and we're not stuck with and Chakotay and Seven of Nine got married, and then this person did this, and this person did that, and there was a, you know, it's it's open to interpretation what happens next. So well, you say that, but we we now know it's for pocketbooks. Oh, I mean, even now, Prodigy and Picard have given you the answers for most of the crew members of Voyager as to what happened next. So, well, that's fine, that, but at the time, like they didn't, and I think that was the right thing to do. Um, okay, like the ambiguity that okay. you know was it her actual mother for you know it carried it on for a little while mm. yeah i mean I, I think i do for this episode but then again it's because i am so emotionally connected to that journey of balanas i don't even think it's so much that i'm you know that railing too much about how voyager ended it's just like i'd like a follow-up now to sort of see how we're going with that and how balana's doing and she's one of the only voyager characters that we haven't really seen anything of we got a brief mention in Prodigy that she helped construct the Proto Drive or whatever, or maybe the Dauntless's Drive. I don't know, um, but that's it. That's all we know, really. And I'm like, I want to see, like, how is she getting on? <laughs> Perhaps it's just testament to how good, how well that character was played, like written and especially played. That I want to see more of her. But uh, yeah, I'll just leave that there. So um, because the next thing I want to deal with was that was the acting. So again, uh, Fian, as the guest, will come to you first and. Uh, what did you what did you have to say about the acting as if we don't know already i think for the most part but yeah what did you think uh, i think roxanne's a, a wonderful wonderful actress i can't think off the top of my head of a single scene from the series that i watched her and that i was like wow she played that wrong um no. and i have to say overall of the of all the different main casts i think voyager has the most solid main cast in terms of of acting um and just being very natural. And um, I think her acting in this was especially good um, because so often we see Bolana, she has two modes. She has science and she has anger. And those are her modes. And we see her in those, and this one, we see her kind of slipping. And this, um, I'm always fascinated by episodes of TV that make me feel like I'm watching theater and the scene on the on the ship, um, not all of the scenes on the ship, but I was very cognizant that it was a set. And that's mm. not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. On the barge, for sure, I would say the same thing. It was very much like that's what yeah, I meant on the barge, on that ship. Um, yeah. On the yeah, yeah. So the scene towards the end where, you know, the Klingons are there, her mother's there, but the Voyager's crew is also there. And she's swinging the bat left around, and it felt very much like I was watching theater in the round. And mm. um, I love that about this episode. And yeah. I do think this is a, a standout performance by Roxanne, but she's always good. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't disagree with anything you just said. I would just second it all. So, yeah. What about you, DK? Then? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think Roxanne was absolutely fantastic in this. I, I, again, with 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 only seeing Voyager through once, it never really made that much of an impact. So it kind of, I'm not going to diss it and say I always went into it thinking it was bland. I'm just saying it. it whereas I, I grew up with, obviously, original series and Next Generation, that kind of thing, it never really made that much of an impact. So to go in today and see this, and as Vianne said, it is, it's, it's, it's almost like you're watching it being performed on stage. And it, as I say, it just really gripped me. And I think she was outstanding in this. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, I think your your thoughts are probably in line with a lot of people's when it comes to Voyager, because I think a lot of people did dismiss it, or a lot of people might have watched it once and just not connected with it because of, I don't know, maybe it was franchise fatigue, or maybe they were just very, you know, a lot of people very obsessed over DS9, so they might have, you know, planted their flag with that one. And I think that's a shame, because I think there's a lot in Voyager to love, and I would, you know, implore anyone to go back and watch it again. Um, you know, and Bellana's definitely a highlight for me. This isn't my favorite performance of hers. That would probably be the episode Extreme Risk, which I love. But this is very close to as good as that, I think. Um, and I think, yeah, Roxanne was fantastic. I have a few acting notes about that specifically. First of all, I do love when she's playing the kind of sarky, you know, funny but dark. <laughs> so, like, you've got a, a concussion. That's the best thing that's happened to me all day. <laughs> it's the kind of typical, like, you know, for whatever reason, this, these are the kinds of women I respond to when they're kind of self-effacing and a little bit, uh, you know, dark humor. Um or when it's so telling when she's like, if you join in with this, I'll rip out your tongue. And then Paris saying, well, yeah, there's not a lot of Klingon in you. Well, I inherited the forehead and the bad attitude, but that's all. Um, but, you know, it, again, it's it's the portrayal of that struggle by the actress. That's the way she, she looks beyond engineering or oh, the specific line when she says to her mother, like that really hit home. Oh, the same way you drove away my father. I was like, oh, that's yeah that would have been so easy to go soap opera with and yet it was very like a knife to the heart you know um yeah <clears throat> where was i going here oh and that was the other thing when you know Bellana's is very in denial of where she is and oh there's no fettler and no cabin of despair and then they just say well yeah but have you truly ever been happy here and that is a really good you know that she's portraying that sort of sense of of sadness i guess very well um but plays the desperation so much better when, like I said, she's like, tell me what to do. You know, what do you want me to be? And they only just want her, basically, you know, and she doesn't know how to defend herself, but ultimately makes the choice to just throw the weapon away, which I think is a very, again, fantastic metaphorical moment of like, you know, lower your defenses, basically, and just let people in and, and accept yourself a bit more. So very powerful stuff. And like, like you said, all just in the performance, which is so good. <clears throat> but what did uh, either of you guys think of um, Kate Mulgrew in the episode then? It's funny, as you were speaking, I was just thinking of how radiant Kate is whenever she's on screen. Um, <laughs> I, especially when she smiles. Um, I was thinking of the early scene where she, like, I only have one Belana Torres, I don't want to lose her. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I, look, I know Kate can be kind of polarizing. polarizing. I know Janeway as a character can be kind of polarizing. Thank you, misogyny. But um, I think Kate's absolutely brilliant. I think she's a brilliant actress. I think the things she did with Janeway, even in these very small moments, are just absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. And I think she really went to places that I would never have thought to go with the character. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. even in these very, very tiny micro moments of the character, I think she gives it absolutely everything she's got. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know Janeway was that polarizing. Maybe I just move in the right circles, but I've never felt less than, you know, loving the character and the actress. So yeah, maybe I'm just not dealing with a-holes enough in life. <laughs> but uh, no, I always think Kate Mulgrew's fantastic. And I think she was here. Like I said, she's basically the co-lead of the episode with the kind of maternal side of things. And you do feel that genuine affection from Balana without it being stated and, that said, even when she's portraying the nightmare version, when she she like spits about, oh, you have nothing to celebrate, you are dishonorable and everything. I was like, she's even great at this, even though it's completely 360 from where she's been the rest of the episode. 
she plays that part really well and you can you can definitely see how she ended up with a voice acting role in prodigy because just the performance alone you don't even necessarily need the visuals and she can sell you on anything so which isn't to say i don't want to see her again in live action because i do but <laughs> anyway um yeah dk any thoughts yeah i mean she can just be on screen for a short amount of time but she never gives it anything less than just perfection for me i think she's a fantastic actress yeah. The other one I thing I wanted to mention that I almost didn't there because I've got it as a note is that I was really moved when she has kind of let Bellana do this and she just sort of under her breath just says, Kapla Bellana, just to nobody. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Such a touching moment. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Anything? I've just kind of lumped everyone together into a few lines, but do you have anything on everyone else? <laughs> um, well, I already mentioned, I think this was a, that was a nice little moment for Garrett and giving him a little mm. real moment. Um I think uh, I know you like the song, the drinking mm -hmm. song. I could have lived without that because it felt to me like, okay, once they introduced Seven of Nine, it became the Seven of Nine show. And they mm. could not let Bellana have one episode without Seven yeah. having her yeah. moment in the spotlight. And it just bugs the shit out of me. Well, no, that's that's yeah. literally what I meant earlier when I said, like, they've obviously got to shoehorn that character in because she's so dang popular. And it just yeah. comes off as ridiculous in that end scene when it's like, yeah, you don't listen to my engineering ideas. And I was like, get out of here. What are you even doing here? There's but no even at point the start, when you're going to the mess hall, it, it feels yeah. kind of shoehorned in and you're just saying, oh. Yeah, like Vianne saying, it's like, oh, we... Because Jane, because sorry, Seven and the Doctor are the popular kind of duo of the series. Let's give them a scene, even though you could have lost that easily and it wouldn't have affected anything. I'm completely with you on that one. Yeah. Um, awesome. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree again. Sorry. <laughs> but No, I see what you mean. Even though I did like the song, I, it wasn't because it was Seven and the Doctor and such. It was just I like the actuals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get that. But. I could have lived without that. It's just, it's especially as a woman and a young woman at the time, is mm. that, um, you know, it was so important that this show was being headlined by a woman and it wasn't about, wow, this woman's so sexy. And, you know, that's what it became. And I wanted to hate Seven of Nine for that because I'm like, we just can't have one thing where it's not a woman in a skin tight outfit who has to be unattainably hot because we got to cater to the male gaze or else the show is going to go off the air. We can't have this, this woman led cast. And so it became about her. And then even in this episode, even in this episode, it had to have this moment where she sings and gets all the attention. It was like, Oh my God, can we not, can we not do this for one episode? Yeah. So, it just kind of undermined the message of the, uh, of the episode where they're saying, you know, Balana, it's enough that you are you, but you're still not seven. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, having said that, though, watching this now back after having watched all of Picard and especially season three, it's incredible how in, how just differently Jerry Ryan plays that character. I said it during our review, but it's just it's astounding to me that it's still so believably the same character and yet so different by the end of Picard. And it's like she's grown so much into that role. And my word, I have a Watching back, I have even more respect for the actual dues they've given that character and the, the decent writing and acting that they've actually developed her into something more than just, as you said, male gaze incarnate in those in that season. So yeah, go watch season three of Picard if you haven't. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> Beyond that, um, yeah, I, I just said the same. I think I liked Robert McNeil in this episode because I kind of related 
people might disagree with me on this, but I kind of relate it to Tom just trying really hard, bless him. And like he was willing to learn all about Klingon culture and everything. But he, you know, Belana claims he just didn't have the time or, you know, whatever. But I just, I think they, they have really great chemistry as well. Uh, Robbie and um, Roxanne as a couple, for whatever reason, I, I believe them. And I think, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling they were setting up Balana and Harry to be a thing early in the series until that chemistry quite clearly shone between Paris and Torres. And then they were like, ooh, let's explore this in the writing, perhaps. So, yeah, just just random thoughts for me about that one. Yeah. I agree with everything <laughs> you just said. And I also think poor Robbie is another one with Paris that is um, criminally underrated. I mean, mm. I'm yes. going to go back to Threshold for a second. Yes, it's a ridiculous episode, and we all have a good laugh, but let's be real. His performance in that episode is great, and he does not get enough props for just being this very steady character and very real performances. Yeah, definitely. I love that character. I, I mean, Even that, just in that character is... You know? I think his relationships are all the strengths of the show, whether it be with Belana or his friendship with Harry. And that's, I, I kind of love, like I said, that character when he gets, on, or, but even when he gets like a chance to shine, like in 30 days, when you yeah. give him some depth, it's, it's, it's there. So I kind of like that in this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, Tim Russ appears more, mainly out of character as Tuvok. So there's not a lot to say except serviceable job, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, I've forgotten the name of the actress, but the actress who plays Miral, I thought was good, but I didn't love how harsh she was at first. With you know, like I said, with feeling sad for Bolana and this whole like not wanting, not feeling enough or doing enough, and then her mother's immediately like, "Well, you've changed, oh, but not enough. You'll never really be, you know, you're not honourable. You can't do the Klingon thing." And I was like, "Oh man, I can understand why you haven't spoken to this bitch for ten years, honestly." Because like, Ugh. but at least she does change toward the end, and you could get the complete turnaround of you know, um, even though she'd rather not cheat her way into Stovacor, she doesn't want. Belana to sacrifice herself for her, so she clearly still cares on some level, which was nice to see. And uh, yeah, that's all I have on the other actors. But do either of you have anything else? DK, what about you? No, I've not really. I've not really got any uh, other notes. M most of my notes were pretty much uh, on Roxanne. That's that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, uh, so, are you both happy for me to move on to direction? Not that I have a lot, but little bits here. Yeah, yeah sure. As I say, TV direction is always a tricky thing because. Television is very much, you know, you're, you're just following what's been established and you can rarely make a mark. But I did notice a few things. Uh, the first one being in the opening scenes, the way that they chose to shoot from under the glass table to show you the Klingon artifact and the way that it bleeds and almost that horror movie type scene, I thought was yeah. really cool uh, and very well yeah, done, very unsettling. As well. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. I'm, I'm pleased about that. That's good. Um, the way that even in the two box scene, it kind of pans up from the meditating candle. And then it goes all kind of woozy and dreams like as soon as we've revealed that it's not reality, which is, you know, it's a trope, but it's cool. It's nice that it happens. Um, when the slow mo hit, I thought, oh my God, the vent is Zack Zack Snyder's space. <laughs> oh, that's twice we've dissed Zack Snyder on this episode. We're going to lose subscribers. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that GMA's speech went really trippy. And then the Klingon warrior kind of just appeared to slay them all. I was like, ooh. I did think it was really well done. It was really atmospheric that that uh, that little scene. I agree, and it was it was unsettling when Balana woke up on Debarge, not the band, the actual barge. <laughs> <of the day. laughs> um, <laughs> the first uh, question is, who's Johnny? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of the cool siren things, but I do think that was one thing that they just couldn't. 
for whatever reason, I don't know if they just didn't have the budget or it wasn't very well realized, but it was very, you know, the shrieking eels from the Princess Bride were more convincing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like the attempt at horror and I like that in reality, everything's kind of smoother and clearer and even little sort of, I'm not sure if you would class this as direction, but like set design pieces, like the, the cups having Klingon symbols on them or the way that the barge has the Klingon symbology and the, uh, like a snake design cool on it. And then yeah. the thing that I'd, I'd never noticed before that I was immediately like, oh, I've got to pause and make sure I've seen that was that on the gates of Grethor, the Klingon symbol is upside down. And I was like, that is genius. How have I never noticed that before? Because, <laughs> you know, the whole upside down crucifix is the opposite yeah. kind of thing. And I was like, oh, genius. I love what you did there. Um, and I do like that, you know, the second time she ends up on the barge, they have Balana in the Klingon outfit as opposed to the Starfleet uniform because... I don't know, thematically it makes sense. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Roxanne just looks good in the outfit. Who knows? I also, <laughs> I also like the fact that they uh, they didn't try and feel the need to show her cleavage. Yeah, they didn't do cleavage with a K, as I mentioned in our Redemption review <laughs> last week. Yeah, so uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, anything on direction from either of you before I move uh, slightly on? Well, I think it was well directed. Uh, as I was saying, I did appreciate that shot from below the table. Um, that really stood out to me. But also, and as I was saying earlier, is I, I really am fascinated anytime a TV episode can make me feel like I'm watching theater. And I do chalk mm. a lot of that up to not just the set design and the acting, but to the directing and the way they guide how it's going to play out. Um, so yeah. I appreciate that about this episode. And one thing I did want to touch on, and this is probably more of a writing thing, but when you were talking about the gate authority, it made me one little bit of a pet peeve with Star Trek and the way they tend to write alien culture, particularly religion, is it, it plays very heavily on the same Christian mythology that in afterlife there is a place of punishment and there is a place of joy. Or whatever, you know, like there is a heaven yeah. and there's a hell. And we're just yeah. going to call it different things, but, you know, it's the divine treasury. It's uh, Stovacor. It's heaven. You know, it's like Profits versus power rates and whatnot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to think that they would not, as an alien race, have just a completely different idea. Like, it has to somehow be related to the same human concepts kind of irks me. Having said that, I do like, and it's it's not actually not from Voyager, it's from an episode of Deep Space Nine, but it's emphasized here. I do like this idea that they put forward that the Klingons basically, the first Klingon killed the gods that made him because they decided they were more trouble than they were worth. But then, you know, you have the idea that he was then sentenced to be the the ferryman, as it were, to ferry the souls to, of the dead to Grethor. Although you do kind of then question, sentenced by who? You just killed the highest power possible, surely? So, you know, but whatever. We'll go with it. But yeah, I do like that there's a bit of a difference there. It is, a you know, even though it's not something I agree with, obviously, or whatever. But, um, you know, it was, it was a unique way of looking at it. So as you said, it wasn't quite so, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's the same thing with a different name. So I always like when they go a bit more alien with things. But anyway. Um, oh, and the other note that I have, just very briefly on visual effects, I really liked the way that the shuttle crash into Voyager looked at the start of the episode. <laughs> just apropos of nothing, but I love ships and things, and so seeing ships crash was a bit of a, yeah, boom, moment. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's literally, uh, that's that's my notes done, unless you guys have anything else. No, I've pretty much got to the end of it. Awesome. Uh, well, what we'll do then, we'll jump into our favourite character moment and line, then I'll give the audience response. There's just a few of them. Uh, and then conclusions and scores from all of us. Spark, analysis. So, 
Uh, Vian, you're the guest, so we'll come to you first. Who would you say is your favourite character in the episode? This might be a bit well, self-explanatory. I, mean, but... I don't know how it could be anyone other than Belana. Um, yeah. Her episode, it's her story and it's her journey. So the other characters are supplemental. I mean, really, she's doing the heavy lifting. The other characters, nobody has a lot of, of screen time, I would say. Mm. Except maybe, maybe Janeway, but even then, she's just... The, the the catalyst the foil slash catalyst for um yeah. Belana doing this this thing and um are are we doing favorite lines as well no no we'll we'll, we'll go around uh, one at a time so oh, we'll go to DK and ask who your favorite character is please uh, DK Vian said it pretty much much more eloquently than I ever could spot on <laughs> and I I think the same thing I would say Belana just because again fantastic performance but also just the relatability of that character in this episode, I think is fantastic. So yeah, three out of three for Bellana then. Uh, so yeah, what was your favorite moment or scene in the episode, Vian? Well, I, I think there are a lot of really good micro moments in this episode, mm. but uh, for me, it's gotta be at the end where she's speaking to Matt in that final, who do you want me to be? You know, and she's just losing it. You know, she's just, yeah, she's always very, if she's not angry, very controlled. And even in her anger, it's often controlled. And when that mask starts to slip because she's just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Somebody tell me what to do, yeah. you know, in that yeah. moment. And that's just the heart that goes into that line uh, was brilliant. Awesome. Uh, TK, what about you? Uh, it's been mentioned on more than one occasion the the way it does feel like you are watching a stage play uh, with the set, and I, I like the initial setup on the barge where she first meets Cortar and that little explanation. It mm. you know, effects wise, it doesn't look amazing, but it just it, it just grabs me totally. Awesome. Uh, that's fair enough. And I, I picked the same exact scene as Vian, but again, I couldn't really explain it as eloquently as she did, other than that it's the, the focus of the episode and it's what it's all heading towards. So, yeah. Uh, Vian, what's your favourite line in that case? <laughs> oh, it's probably the, who do you want me to be? Okay, <laughs> fair because, enough. You know, it, it would have been so easy to, to do that line wrong. <laughs> yeah. She nailed it. Yeah, she hit it without it being like melodramatic, if you know what I mean. Yes. So I think, yeah, yeah completely agreed. Uh, DK, what about you? Uh, mine's a little more cheesy. It's the part where uh, Neelix tries speaking in Klingon and Taurus says, he said, eat this or he'll force it down the gullet of your corpse. And Neelix says, no offense. Oh, none taken. Oh, that okay. is a great moment. <laughs> Fair enough. We had choice, but I like it. Okay. Um, okay. Mine was just this exchange, which was, um, what do you want? Who are you asking? You, Kalis, the Tooth Fairy, anybody who will tell me what I am supposed to do. Because I was like, that again, that sums up the entire episode that it is, at its crux, it doesn't really point spell this out for you, but it is Balana kind of looking anywhere for answers and for a way to be, I guess. So I kind of love that line. And, uh, you know, I don't say it as dismissive. I see it as like, I'm really trying here, you know? So I'm going to move on then because we have a little bit, like I said, of audience response, uh, which I like to be geeky and call subspace communications. <laughs> Incoming transmission. <clears throat> so these all come from either Instagram or Facebook groups. 
this first one is from Edmund Pollux, who says, I like Barge of the Dead for a few reasons. I always have a lot of fun when they delve more into Klingon mythology and spirituality. This episode is a good vehicle for that. Roxanne Dawson gives a really good performance. She's usually awesome, but this one is a standout for me. And I really like the solemnity of Eric Pierpoint as Kotar. Finally, Brian Fuller was nice to me at a con years ago, so I have to enjoy this. Ha ha ha. In all seriousness, it's not my favorite, even in comparison to the season that it is in, but it's a solid one that I enjoy revisiting now and again. So, okay. Uh, on Instagram, Jordan LaForden, who we've heard on the podcast before, says that Balana's arc is one of my favorites in all of Trek. This episode is so meaningful after so many seasons of her wrestling with being Klingon and being so vocal about her disdain for her mother. I love how this adds so much to Klingon lore, and I'm a sucker for a good faith versus science story. Plus, curly haired warrior armor wearing Balana is Bay. Love this episode. <laughs> oh, Jordan, you have taste. <laughs> over on Facebook, Becca Morgan says, I really love how complicated this episode is for Berlana. She goes through so much. And just one person on Twitter responded, and it was at that's at Charlie Darwin, who says, Barge of the Dead is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. The exploration of Klingon lore fascinates me, and Belana Torres is one of my favorite characters in Voyager. So when an episode is centered on her, I'm likely to love it by default. So... That's everyone else's thoughts and uh, your thoughts out there. Now we come to our thoughts. And again, we always uh, like to go to the guest first to be polite. So, Vian, do you have a conclusion for us and a score out of five Starfleet Deltas? Uh, I'm going to score at four. Uh, it's a solid episode. It's a solid Belana episode. Um, I think they maybe explored this issue with her a little better in other episodes. Um the one where she's genetically engineering or trying to genetically engineer her own child. Um, Prophecy. I think. Kind oh, of, no, lineage, uh, I think, is that one. Actually, lineage. Yeah. lineage. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I love science, Milana. I loved Prototype, and I particularly mm. love Dreadnought. Um, so yes. I think the, I like the application of her as the scientist a little more again i'm not super interested in klingons and klingon culture but um i i do think she's a great character i think this is a solid episode and uh yeah it's definitely got a lot of rewatch potential I would also shout out the episode Faces in terms of a good exploration of Belana's internal struggle when she's literally turned into a human and a Klingon by the Vidians, because, yeah, great episode. Very well explored. Anyway, DK, your conclusion and score, please. Uh, yeah, Star Trek does Dante. An interesting break from your Alien of the Week here. I've always liked the more introspective episodes of Trek. Well, you know, most of them anyway. <clears throat> and this is no exception. We uh, normally view Klingons through the lens of their honour, love of battle, etc. But while not dispensing with those facets of Klingon culture entirely, the focus here is on personal spirituality, and it works. Ronald Moore and Brian Fuller created a really good exploration of the Klingon afterlife, incorporating Orphean elements to construct an ambiguous, atmospheric and gripping narrative around Torres and the duality of her psyche. Not only this, but they managed to craft some good emotional and at times, intense scenes featuring the regular cast. Your mileage may vary, of course, but I loved it. In fact, the only reason I'm marking this down is that I feel the ending was a little rushed uh, because I personally you know, could have think this could have made a great two-parter. And I'm also giving it four out of five. Okay, awesome. Uh, 
Okay, I'll give you my conclusion again. Apologies if it's long-winded and, and a bit scripted, but that's how I do it. So uh, I just said it's an episode that asks some big questions, but lacks the time and focus to really explore them. There's more going on under the surface, though. This serves as one of a series of Balana-centric episodes that all contribute to developing her brilliantly realized character. Underneath all the gubbins, the Klingon geekery, and the techno babble, this to me is a story of a person with internalized hatred being forced by outside forces to examine that inner conflict and try to reconcile it. The crux of the episode is when it makes this extremely clear at the end and brings it all into focus. Themes of accepting your heritage, searching for answers through religion, faith versus science, and even psychological exploration are touched upon, and this is to be commended. It's a shame, though, that this story had to be crammed into 44 minutes and accommodate the entire starring cast, because the pacing and some of the ideas really hurt it. A longer episode with a tighter focus on Balana and a few other relevant characters could have been shooting for perfection. As it is, though, the outstanding acting by Roxanne Dawson especially, the breathtaking direction and sets and the ideas bubbling under the surface are enough to still make this a great, if slightly unsatisfying, classic Trek episode. And I also went with four out of five. So hmm, I'm wondering what the average is here. The average is going to be so... Oh, hang on, it's four out of five! If we uh, are <laughs> working out that average, four, four, and four, believe it or not, it gives you the average of four. So, <laughs> so yeah, fantastic. Uh, that was great. Thank you so much, uh, both of you, for, for reviewing that episode with me. And uh, four out of five, not a bad score. I don't think it's going to top the leaderboard, but it'll be up there. So, fantastic. Have we all had a good time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed awesome. it. Yeah, I did too. I think we've had some great, as usual, we had some great conversation and some deeper, you know, explorations out of it. So that was cool. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Vian, for the second time. We really appreciate you being here. Um, yeah, yeah, is there any... The series. <laughs> well, I've got Romulans on deck first, much to DK's chagrin, but you know, <laughs> maybe maybe someday. <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks. Hopefully you will come back and join us again sometime, Vian, because it's always great having you as a guest. Fine. and. Awesome. And uh, can uh, where can people find you? Would you want to shout anywhere out on the internet? Oh, I've got the same handle pretty much everywhere. Lady Vian, V-E-A-N. Uh, and mostly I'm active on Twitter these days, but you'll find me on almost any social media. Awesome. Awesome. And DK, have you uh, enjoyed being back this up? Uh, I have. I have, yes. Thank you. Awesome. That's fantastic. I believe the next episode we're doing is just you and Will. I'm not on it. so It is, so that should be highly professional. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be looking at the original series episode, Day of the Dove. We are, yes. Awesome. One of my favourites, I'll say that now. So, awesome. And uh, you can always find me and DK's information in the episode descriptions. We have our link trees and a few links there. And uh, as I say, as I always say, you can... You know, if, you, if you've enjoyed it, you can contribute towards helping us fund the podcast by going and uh, buying us a coffee on Coffee or whatever it's called. <laughs> Links to that are in the description as well. Uh, yeah, thanks again to Vianne for being a great guest. Thanks to UDK for being a great co-host. And uh, join us back for the next episode when we continue our Klingon exploration. And uh, in the meantime, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Kapla! You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. 
This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.